Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Church uh, band, thank you for that. Thanks for sharing your talents with us. I love uh, the creative juices that they bring every Sunday. If this is your first time with us, let me add my welcome to Beverly's. What an honor to share a Sunday morning with you. You picked a great Sunday to come join us. We are in the middle of a very, very important series here that we are calling Rooted. Uh, We're talking about those things that we are rooted in as a church. It's really kind of a a defining, an identity kind of series for us as a church. So if you're wondering, what is is this church all about? This is a great series to be a part of. We're so glad to have you here this morning. If you happened to catch the Grammys a couple weeks ago, uh, you might have been caught by surprise by a new artist, at least new to me, uh, a young artist named Billie Eilish. Now, if you don't know Billie, she... She just swept the Grammys. I mean, she just swept right through, took the whole thing. It was incredible. And if you've not heard her music, uh, one, it means you're probably over 18. But two, uh, you're, you're missing out on the fact that this voice, this young woman, has, has almost a kind of prophetic voice in our culture today. She, she speaks for her generation. And uh, so I was listening to some of her music, and, and one, one lyric stood out to me more than others. This one song that opens with this question She says, don't ask questions you don't want to know about. Interesting question, huh? Now, she, of course, is talking about something else. But what that made me think of is a question that for me as a pastor, for me as a church planter, has haunted me since the day we began. It's a question that honestly sometimes keeps me awake at night. It's a question that kind of troubles me. It lives with me. And that question is this. You ready? If if our church... If our church was to disappear overnight, would anyone notice? If our church was to disappear overnight, would anyone in our community, besides the janitorial staff here at Lincoln Charter, would anyone in our community (laughs) notice? Because a church, the, the church, was never meant to exist as an entity for itself. The church was created to exist for those outside of its walls. In fact, William Temple uh, once said that this way. He said that the church is the only organization that exists for those who are yet to become a part of it. Isn't that true? That's the heart of the church. Now, here's what I think I know about you, whether you would describe yourself as a follower of Jesus or or maybe you're a skeptic or you're a spiritual explorer. We welcome everyone on their spiritual journey here at Lake Forest Church. And wherever you are at, here's what I think I know about you. Here's what I think is true about you and me this morning. We all long for our lives to have a purpose. We do. We all want our lives to count. And the truth is, your life is counting. Your life is making a difference. The question is, what kind of difference will your life make? Will your life be one lived with all the arrows pointed inward, all about you, all about self? Or will you live a life with arrows out for a purpose greater than yourself? 
Because what you and I and the church all have in common is that we were created to live for a purpose greater than ourselves. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Uh, In this series, Rooted, we've been looking at various things that we are rooted in. Week one, we said we are rooted in Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything we do. We worship Jesus. We study Jesus. We follow Jesus. Jesus is at the center of everything for us. Last week, we talked about when we follow Jesus, how that will lead us to become rooted in community. We talked about this mysterious Greek word koinonia, this kind of new togetherness that Jesus came to create. But Jesus did not just come to create a community. He came to create a community and send it on a mission. You see, when Jesus came to start his movement to rescue and to rebuild his world, he didn't start with an army. He didn't start with an election. He didn't start with a corporation, an institution, or a university. He started with a small group of people called the church. A group of people who understood that their mission was to be the embodiment of Jesus in this world. Shaped by Jesus' vision. Empowered by Jesus' spirit. Led by Jesus' command to love. We are rooted in Jesus. We are rooted in community. We are rooted in mission. And so today, today, I just want to reflect on this mission with you. Why do we as a church, and I don't mean church, why do we as Lake Forest Church Westlake, why do we exist right here in Denver, Iron Station, Stanley, Cheryl's Ford, Maiden, Lincolnton, Alexis, what am I missing? I'm trying to get them all, right? Catawba, thank you, Catawba. Terrell, though Terrell's going down, I guess they're going out. Like we're losing Terrell, that's what the newspaper said, right? So why do we exist where we do as his church? That's what we're going to look at. You know, there's an interesting uh, verse at the very beginning of Jesus' most famous talk, something called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And right at the beginning of his most famous message, Jesus stops to give this, this explanation about who we are as a church. And he uses two images that seem rather surprising. Let me read this to you. This is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He goes on, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right here at the very beginning of Jesus' most famous message, he he has this, this kind of defining moment, this identity moment for his followers, for his church. In fact, if you read the whole Sermon on the Mount, all three chapters, you'll notice that these two little statements leap off the page at you when you read it. It's as if he's saying, look, guys, I know you're all going to forget everything I'm going to say over the next three chapters. Well, everybody except Matthew, because he's writing this down. But uh, here's what I want you to remember. The rest of you, I want you to remember, this is going to summarize everything for you. You are salt, 
and you are light. So what did Jesus mean by giving these two images to his students? Why was it these two images that the master teacher wanted to plant in their minds? Well, I want to take each of them in turn. Let's start with salt. You are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You know, interesting thing in the ancient world, salt was a hugely valuable commodity. It was not as easily accessible as going into Chick-fil-A and taking an extra handful of salt packets for the table at home, right? It wasn't that simple. Salt was actually very, very valuable. In fact, Roman soldiers were often paid in pounds of salt. When, when the, uh, they were normally paid with uh, government-issued coins, but when currency was unavailable, they would be paid in salt, which is actually where the word salary comes from. Did you know that? Sal is the Latin word for salt. So salary was paid in salt. It was such a valuable commodity. So what were some of the common uses of salt in Jesus' day? Well, the first is kind of obvious. It's the one we're all familiar with. What do you use salt for in your life? For food. You use it to make your food taste better, right? Salt was used as a seasoning in food. In fact, what's interesting is salt is the only additive to food I know of that, that, is, that is primarily exists for the enrichment of the flavor of the food itself, right? Nobody eats salt straight. I mean, I eat sugar straight sometimes, you know, that kind. But I don't, nobody does that with salt, do they? Salt exists to make other food taste good. Now imagine, think about your favorite savory food for a minute, right? Really, really take it in. Think about your favorite one. Got it? Now imagine that food without salt. Why would you eat it? Well, you wouldn't, right? You wouldn't eat French fries without salt, potato chips without salt, nuts without salt. You would be nuts, just nuts. So a few weeks ago, I, uh, a few weeks ago, I, I got really sick. I don't know if anybody else had the stomach bug thing. I had the three-day stomach bug, you know, I didn't eat anything for three days. And I was coming out of the stomach bug, and, and I was doing what I always, my mama used to always do for me, which you start by eating saltines, right? You're going to try and go easy on your stomach. And so the problem was we didn't have any saltines at home. So I had to send a family member who shall remain nameless, but he's the only one who can drive in our house right now. And um, I sent him to the store. Actually, he offered, which is really kind, to go get me some saltines. And he came back. Uh, and I was so excited about these saltines. I opened it up and I opened the package. I'm the first food I'm, I'm going to have eaten in like three days, right? And I take that first saltine, I put it in my mouth, and then I just wanted to spit it out. And I looked, I looked at the box and it was said, salt-free saltines. <laughs> if you ever wanted to know proof of evil in the world, that is it right there, right? I'm just... I mean, think about that. They're called saltines, right? The saltines. If saltless saltines are just eens, there's, there's, you know, why would you eat them? See, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. This idea became such a, a marker for the Jesus movement. This became such an identity for them. Uh, the apostle Paul picks up on Jesus' very teaching when he uses the same image in his letter to the Colossians, he says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. What's the point? Well, Christians should be tasty. Christians should be salty. Christians should not be saltless saltines. In fact, one of the most remarkable things about Jesus was just how tasty he was. And you can see this by the kinds of people that were drawn to him. People that were totally not like Jesus loved being with Jesus. He was so 
salty. He was so tasty. Those who felt pushed out by religion. Those who felt like they didn't measure up. Those who felt overlooked. These people were drawn to Jesus like a magnet. Why? Because the Bible says he was full of grace. Mercy. And people experienced something of God's love in him that they had never experienced before. Jesus was tasty, like well-salted French fries. And he said, I want my followers, my church, to be the same. Only problem is that sometimes we, in churches, we can get this backwards, can't we, right? We read this verse and we think that Jesus said, you are to be the vinegar of the earth, right? And we've all experienced Christians. Maybe we've even been Christians like that. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a church like that, or your mom or sister dragged you to a church like that. And maybe that's why you gave up on church in the first place. You thought, man, if this is what Christians are like, they're bitter, they're judgmental, they're caustic. Why would I want anything to do with them? And let me tell you, if that's your story, I, I get it. Jesus said, my community, my people, my church is to be tasty, seasoned with grace like well-salted french fries. I was thinking about a ministry partner here at Lake Forest Church that really uh, just embodies this for me. Uh, in fact, every time I interact with her, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just getting a little bit of Jesus that kind of brushes off on me. Uh, if you've ever gotten to talk with Kay Motley, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Kay serves at our info table in back, and, and just everything about Kay is, is seasoned with grace. She's one of the saltiest people I know. And just so, so she's such a gift to me and to our community. Salt was to be seasoning, but salt was also used for a second purpose in the ancient world, and that was this. Salt was used for healing and preserving. Now, we don't typically use salt for healing. We still use it for preserving. We don't use it quite in this healing way. It can be difficult for us to imagine, but in the ancient world, salt was one of the most readily available medicines in the day. For many, salt was the only antiseptic they had access to or could afford. And so a cut or wound, maybe you've heard this, would be salted. Salt the wound and the healing will come soon, the adage said. And what's really fascinating about this is that, that when you would salt the wound, it, it did in fact kill some of the bacteria and it would quicken the healing. And what's really interesting about this is that, that the early Jesus followers took this part of salt quite literally. Listen to how one historian describes this. He says this, In the ancient Roman world, compassion was not a well-developed virtue among the pagan Romans. Mercy was discouraged as it only helped those too weak to contribute to society. In the cramped, unsanitary warrens of the typical Roman city, under the miserable cycle of plagues and famines, the sick found no public institutions dedicated to their care and little in the way of sympathy or help. He goes on, he says this, but by the first century AD, a new culture, a new culture had begun penetrating the classical Roman world, the culture of the Christians, revolutionizing morality and behavior. Christians responded by demonstrating Christ's love to their brothers and sisters who bore God's image. The weaker and more helpless the neighbor, the greater the need to show them the compassion of Christ secular historian from Oregon State University. You see, the reason, the reason that today we have hospitals and orphanages, 
homeless shelters and foster care. The reason that every human being is given the dignity he or she deserves is because a group of Jesus followers took seriously this charge. You are the salt of the earth. But Aaron, I I thought being a Christian was just about, you know, getting my airline ticket to heaven. I I pray the prayer and then I just kind of wait in the church, you know, the airport lobby, overpriced food, and I wait for my plane to arrive. Isn't that what it's all about? Well, certainly going to heaven is a part of what it means to be a Christian, but it is not the whole story. The church isn't simply an airport lobby where we get our ticket and wait. The church is to be an outpost, a refuge, a safe haven, a place of healing, a place where heaven is breaking into our world, a place where we get to pray, God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? That means... It means where you go, wherever you go, you have the opportunity to bring a little bit of salt, a little bit of heaven, a little bit of life into a decaying and dying world around you. You are the salt of the earth. He's given you a salt shaker. In the words of the great theologian, Taylor Swift, your job is to shake, shake, shake. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We'll get back to this in a second. Here's the problem. Taylor Swift has it right. We are to shake. The problem is some of us think our, we're, we're living the Jimmy Buffett life, right? We're lost in Margaritaville, and we don't know where our salt shaker went, right? <laughs> Your job. You've been given salt. Your job is to shake, shake, shake everywhere you go. We are to be tasty, healing, life-giving Jesus followers in the places that he has put us. Which brings us to the second image. Second image. You are the salt of the earth. What's the second one? Light. You are the light of the world. All this talk about salt's got me craving some french fries. All right, we're almost there. I don't want you to miss this second image because I actually think that this is the more provocative one. This is the more mysterious one. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And I imagine that his followers in that day... We're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, Jesus, we get it. We're kind of ordinary, boring people, right? We're just everyday folks, salt people. Yeah, we get that. Nothing special about us. But when he said, you are the light of the world, I think their ears would have perked up. I think at this point, they would have been like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We're just a bunch of fishermen and farmers. We've never traveled more than 15 miles from our home. What do you mean that we are the light to the whole world? And so Jesus unpacks it for them. He says... You know how in cities, you know, they're, they're built up on top of hills so that people journeying far away can spot them and know where they're traveling? They're like, yeah, yeah, okay, we, we kind of get that. And you know how at night, even when you're miles away from the town, you can see the glow of the oil lamps on the city? Even on the darkest night, you can still find your way? And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, we get that. That's what I want you to be. I want you to be like that. You are to be lights that help people find their way to God. But here's what's really interesting about this. The word that gets translated here, built, kind of misses the point just a little bit. The word actually means to place, to put. Literally, this city is placed on a hill. It's put there strategically. That's why there's a parallel in this passage between the city and the lamp. They are both placed right where they are for a purpose. So here's what Jesus is saying to us. You are like a strategically placed city. 
You are like a strategically placed light. God has strategically placed you right where you are, and God wants you to be a light right where he has placed you. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, well, Aaron, that sounds nice, but I kind of ended up in Denver on accident. I mean, I was in Chicago and my company transferred me. I didn't really have a choice. I had to be close to the airport, you know. Or maybe, you know, you're from up north and you're like, I was on my way to Miami and I broke down halfway and this is about as good as it gets, you know. Or maybe you're like, Aaron, you know, I was born here. I didn't choose to live here. I'm just here because I was born here, right? That's why I'm in Denver. Jesus says, you are here because you have been strategically placed by God right where you are. God has you right where he wants you. In your office, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your gym, on your softball team, in your friend group, all for a strategic purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, he tells us right in the next verse. Did you see that? Look what he says next. In the same way, okay, you've been strategically placed. You're right where he wants you. You're to be a light. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you catch that? Jesus, watch this, Jesus seems to think that shining your light is more about doing good than it is about being good. It's more about doing than being. Now, a lot of us grew up in religious environments where, man, all the emphasis was placed on being good, right? And there's nothing wrong with being good. But the journey of the Christian life is not about just being good. Let's be really clear. Jesus took care of being good on the cross. That's done. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Jesus is calling us to do good, to be a part of his mission in the world. That's what it means to let your light shine. It's to let people see your good deeds. Now, there's a really nerdy little thing here that I just cannot pass up. I just think this is so fascinating. There are actually two words in the Greek New Testament. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. There are two words in the Greek that get translated the word good. The first is the word agathos, where you get agatha. The name agatha actually comes from this, right? And it means morally good. Anybody named agatha? You're really good. You're better than us. All right, agatha. That's morally good, as in abstaining from bad behavior. But the other word is the word kala. Which, com- which actually comes from the word beauty. Guess which one Jesus uses in this teaching? Can you imagine how this verse would sound if we read it this way? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your beautiful deeds and glorify your Father. Imagine what beautiful deeds would look like in your place where he strategically puts you. Imagine what could happen in our workplaces if just one person were to come to know the love of Jesus and live as salt and light in her workplace. How would emails change? How would the meaning of work change? How would this difference begin to make its way into every corner of her organization? Imagine a dad who becomes a Christian and how that could change the generations of his family. 
Through this one dad, children could experience unconditional love, freedom from shame and addiction, forgiveness and a sense of purpose. Imagine whole streets transformed by a person who knows Jesus and loves neighbors despite their differences. Imagine a volleyball team or a softball team transformed by a student who, because of their relationship with Jesus, chooses to use their words to build others up instead of tearing them down. Imagine a classroom transformed by a teacher who, like Jesus, welcomes the children to come and learn. This teacher demonstrates consistency, love, patience, and invests into the kinds of people these kids will grow up to be. And can you imagine a church where the people had been so transformed by the love and grace of Jesus that they serve and give and welcome and sacrifice and share with those in need. Imagine a church so invested in their community around it that not only is it one of the greatest sources of good and beauty in that community, but folks might say, what a remarkable God they must serve. That kind of church, can you imagine, if it were to disappear overnight, its ramifications would be felt everywhere which is the kind of church he's calling us to be. God has given you a mission. You, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What might God do through your life if you were to say yes to that mission? Well, I wanted to... um, share with you just a little story today about one way that we as a church are doing that. Pause for awkward chair moving moment. Uh, this is such a value for us as a church that, that we actually have a team of folks dedicated, where we call them our missions team, our missio dei team, dedicated to championing this value among us. How can we as a church continue to grow in the impact in the community around us? And one of the ways that we've been doing that for this last year is through a mentoring program, a partnership with St. James Elementary, right uh, just adjacent to the new land where we're going to hopefully break ground in the coming months and year here. And I wanted to pause this morning and tell you a little bit about Kids Hope, but more than that, I wanted you to hear from someone at the school who has had a front row seat to see the impact of this program. So would you give a warm, thunderous welcome to Principal Shanty Clancy from St. James. Come on up. That's about as thunderous as Presbyterians get right there. That's That's about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Shanti, I need to find, I just covered my notes, so let me get these back out because I got my questions here. Shanti, thanks for coming. Uh, such an honor to have you. And uh, I was, I, we were talking before this service, but when we first met, I told you, um, I have a lot of respect for principals. Um, I'm, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I am a PK. Maybe you've heard the PK before, pastor's kids. I'm a different kind of PK. I'm a principal's kid. I grew up with a, a, my dad was my high school principal my freshman year. You better believe I was on good behavior that year. It was great. Um, but Shanti, we're, we're honored to have, have you with us this morning. Um, tell us just a little bit when, when you first heard about this church, uh, that wanted to come in and do this mentoring program, uh, what, what went through your mind when you first Heard, heard about that? Relief. <laughs> um, we had tried for years to develop a mentoring program at our school. Um, when I was a teacher at Rock Springs many years ago, we had a mentoring program, but it was completely developed by our school. And that's a lot of work. Yeah. And so Jamie, our guidance counselor, uh, we had tried to 
build and develop our own and just found that it was taxing on us and taking away from other things, mm. which we didn't want it to do, but we knew we had a need. Yeah. And you reached out at the perfect time. Oh. So we just felt like, oh, thank God. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. definite relief was really, truly the first thing that we felt. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know a lot of folks um, in the community uh, might not know this, but when I was uh, meeting with Lori Morrow, uh, the Lincoln County Superintendent, saying, how could we help? I was quite surprised to learn about the depth of need at St. James Elementary, uh, including uh, I think it, it may be, I think this is right, but 28% of the students are on some kind of subsidized meal program. There are a lot of students who, who have, um, just don't have home uh, adequate support in their home life. Tell, what are, tell us about some of the needs that some of these uh, students that are in the mentoring program bring to that. So you're right. People think about our schools on the East End as being affluent and that we don't have the same needs that schools like GE Massey or S. Ray Lauder down in town might have. Um, but we have a very unique demographic. We have a lot of affluent families, but you're right, we have about 30% of our students who come to us with significant needs because their parents, one or both, might be incarcerated, um, might be deceased, siblings that have been murdered. We have some of those. Um, and then we have families who are so experiencing such poverty that you would not believe that exists in Denver. Mm. Just less than a mile from where we are right now. Uh, we take things to their homes for them that they need and we're in shock mm. by where they're living. Um, and so they come to school and they feel safe in our school. But we know that when they go home, we don't know what they're experiencing. So they need to have somebody who is there for them while they're at school, not necessarily teaching them, um, in a formal manner anyway. Sure. So yeah, they have unbelievable needs that you just, you hear when they're enrolling what they have gone through and how they're coming to you and you're in shock because you don't think that happens here. Mm -hmm. uh, Kids Hope, uh, so you guys know, is a national organization that we partner with that helps really um, the established this kind of friendship and partnership, and it has been just amazing. We're now up to 12 mentors. Uh, we are mentoring 12 students. That's one adult, one child, one hour, once a week for a year. And uh, each of those mentors has a prayer partner that's praying for them, praying for the student. Um, and that number is growing. Uh, Shane, tell, tell us just a little bit about the impact that you've seen on, on, on the students, even on the teachers. How, how has this impacted the school? So when we first began, I was really worried that the teachers were not going to be pleased that their students were missing an hour out of their instruction or whatever it might be that they were missing. Um, but we came to find out that there was such relief from the teachers in knowing that it was one-on-one -on -one time and their kids were feeling special to somebody. They weren't on their phones while they were listening. Um, the TV's not on. They were dedicated to those children just and loving their hearts, you know, and those kids go home and they don't have that. Um, so it's just been an amazing, amazing impact seeing students who are socially awkward become more social with their classmates. Students who could not complete work are completing their work. Um, students who were coming in late to school every day because they are 
living with their grandparents who are struggling with getting them out of bed in the morning. And one child missed one meeting with their mentor because she refused to get out of bed that morning and has not been late to school once since then. Wow, wow. So impacting tardiness and attendance, it's impacting social and emotional learning, it's impacting grades, it's impacting every, the whole child, mm. not just one aspect of them. And that is phenomenal because when a teacher has 30 kids in their class, they're trying to reach everybody, yeah. but that's hard. Yeah. So you guys have closed that gap for us. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. If that, that sounds like salt and light to it me is. right there. It, it that's is. pretty awesome. It is. Um, well, Shanti, I, I don't know if I gave you this question, so forgive me for putting this one on you, but just now I, I was thinking... Um, you, you carry a really heavy load. When I think about the responsibilities of a principal, in, in a way, it's um, you're, you're both um, CEO and parent to hundreds of kids and, and mentor to hundreds of adult teachers. I mean, you, you carry a lot. Um, we, if, if you're okay, I'd, like, I'd love to just pray for you in the school. Would that be okay? What, we would love that. How, how, how could we pray for you and the, and the teachers and, and your mission of that holistic development of the students at St. James? How can you pray for us? I don't know how to answer that question. I, forgive me. I, told, I, told, I shouldn't have put you on the spot. No, that's okay. I, I mean, <sighs> teachers are experiencing a lot in this day and age right now. Um, lack of support in a lot of areas, and I try to provide that for them, for the teachers and for the students. Um, but any, any way that you can wrap your arms around them and make them feel like they are important and valued and that they can do it because they go home defeated often. Yes. Um, and I do too yes. on certain days. So any, anybody that can pray for us and yes. feel for us and yes. give us the courage and... Um, courage, I guess, I just it. to keep going. Yes. Well, um, Shanti, we, we are amongst some of your biggest fans <laughs> and cheerleaders, and we really are. And the teachers, I know so many teachers that are out there that carry the same kind of load. Uh, so if you're, if you're a teacher, would you, just, would you just shoot your hand up? If, you're, if you teach any grade level, or you homeschool, or any teachers, teachers, come on, just let me see real quick, real quick. All right, if you're sitting next to one of these teachers and you're a loved one, if you're not a loved one, you don't know them, don't do this. But if you're a loved one, <laughs> good, would you put your hand on their shoulder as we pray? And, and can, can we pray for our teachers and for St. James and Principal Clancy? Father, we thank you for the gift of these men and women and the important work that they do uh, of loving and, and educating and caring for, really sacrificing their lives for the betterment of our kids. Lord, we thank you for the unseen sacrifices that they make, the thankless jobs and faithfulness that they exhibit. God, today we pray your blessing and favor on them. And God, as, as Shanti said, would you, would you strengthen their courage for this important work they do? Father, thank you for the Kids Hope program and the way that we as a church get to play a small role in supporting that important work. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be salt and light in that small way there at St. James Elementary. God, we pray that you would move in all the churches in our community to make a similar kind of impact in the schools around them. God, would you, would you help us to be your salt and your light? Would your kingdom come? In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Chitty, it has been an honor to have you. We have a gift for you. Um, we just wanted to say thank you. Um, uh, some flowers, a card, and a little uh, date night opportunity for you and your, uh, your significant you. other. Thank, thank you. you so much. Can we thank Mrs. Clancy the winner? One of the questions that you asked in the beginning of your sermon was, would we miss you if you were gone? And unequivocally, yes. Not just, and I'm a, cry. I'm a crier, I'm, I'm sorry. Gonna, I'm a, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, the kids would miss you. The teachers, me. It's unbelievable, just for those however many kids are being served, nine, ten. Unbelievable, the difference that you are making in our school. Um, and we welcome anybody else to come and be a mentor. We were, we were looking for men, particularly, because we do have boys who are in need of mentors. But anybody, we will welcome you into our school because whether the student's parents are in jail or not, deceased or not, every child, every child needs somebody. Yes. So yes. thank you. Thank you. Oh, Shanti, that's so awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, my word, we are so over time. That was way too, too much for me. That was awesome. All right, here we go. I need, to do, I need to beg three minutes of some church business with you guys. Can we do three minutes? It's just family business. If you're like coming and kicking the tires, you can just check Facebook on your phone. I need to do some family work real quick, okay? We are in Rooted, and I told you uh, that today I was going to take just a few minutes at the end of the service to explain some of the finances to you. I'm going to go quickly. If you have your vision guide, I invite you to take this out right now. I want to walk you through some of the finances of what it's going to take. Uh, first of all, you've heard just a glimpse of our passion to be rooted in mission. One of the visions that we attach to the new building, we've been talking about these last couple weeks, is we want uh, our vision, we call this our 5,000 unique footprints vision. The vision is that we would have 5,000 unique footprints set foot on our property Monday through Saturday, Monday through Saturday in the first year of opening. We want this building to be a place for the whole community. And put it differently, we want to wear this building out. And so we, we are praying, God, what are the ways that we can open our doors, open our land, open our facility to serve the needs of our community? Uh, I want to just tell you a little bit about that quickly. You can uh, uh, look, if you're in your guide there, you can look to the floor plan. Uh, one of the ways that we embodied this was in our worship center. Uh, in the worship center, we will be able to seat uh, 582 people. Our hope is that this would be used for graduation ceremonies, for football banquets, for performing arts opportunities, for community gatherings, anything and everything that would serve the needs of our community, we hope that that facility will be used for that. We put in an, or putting in an audiovisual system that is, is excellent and professional, but also simple to use so that it can be shared with folks coming in who want to use that facility. We've also done flat flooring because then you can set up chairs differently. You can clear out chairs, put in cots so that we can partner with Room at the Inn as a foul weather shelter. All different kinds of ways that we are seeking to be rooted in mission, even in the design of our facility. Uh, but this facility comes with a cost, which turns to our financial page. And if you'd like to turn to the back with me and find this picture. The total cost of our building, uh, this is site work, that's the dirt that has to be moved, construction materials, design drawings, legal fees, everything all in is a $6 million build. 
we already have $400,000 saved in our savings account, and that's actually growing because of a surplus last year. Thank you. What we have set out to do is raise an additional $2 million. When you add the $2 million to the four hundred dollars we already have saved, that gives us 40% down on our house payment. Does that make sense? We wanted to come in with a conservative down payment. Uh, I won't bore you with all the details, but if you have questions, I'm happy to share. We have set the amount that we would borrow based on our giving and our giving trends to be a conservative 30% of our overall giving, the giving that's forecasted for us in, once we are in that building. That's how we arrived at this budget. Uh, if we do not reach the $2 million in our campaign, that is okay. We will wait because we don't want to rush into something that would be financially risky or unwise. Uh, so there you see the 1.7. If we reach roughly that mark, we anticipate we'd probably have to wait another year before we break ground. If we reach 1.4, we may need to wait two years before we would break ground. We believe God has called us to this vision. We believe the building is the right size of what he's called us to so we can fulfill our mission in the community. And because of that, we are trusting God for $2 million to complete our down payment. If you'll turn the page next, you'll see a giving table. This is not an arbitrary table. This is a table that our stewardship coach has helped us to develop. Based on the size of our church and, and the number of folks who give, uh, this shows you what a typical distribution would look like for us to reach that $2 million. We need a total of 15 families to decide to pledge these amounts over three years. That's the total for the three years. Uh, but we need that many families to make that kind of commitment. And then on down the table. We know that in a church like ours, we have a wide range of incomes and assets. The goal is not that everyone would give equally, but the goal is that everyone would give proportionally with equal sacrifice. We cannot do this alone. No one, of, not one of us can, not even 10 of us can. But as we all lean in, pray and trust God and take a step of faith and sacrificially give, we believe God can help us reach that point. Which leads us to our final uh, page, which I... You think you have to turn back for this one, excuse me. What am I asking of you? Three things I'm asking of you. First is simply this. Uh, we don't want you to rush into this. There's no need to hurry into a decision. We're simply asking you to pray with the others in your household and say, God, what, what, would, what would you have us give to this rooted vision? Mayor Rob and I are doing the same thing. Uh, we've got a second one entering college this year, which makes it like gulp. Okay, Lord, right? <laughs> But how can we sacrifice? Where can we cut so that we can give to this vision? Secondly, I'm going to ask you next week, I'm going to hold up a commitment card. You're going to receive a commitment card in the mail. I'm going to ask you to take that commitment card and actually prayerfully make a pledge. And then on March 8th, which is just a few weeks out, uh, we're going to bring those commitment cards as part of our worship. We're going to celebrate communion. Uh, and at that time, we'll have the opportunity to turn in our pledge cards as well. And we're trusting that you will listen to what God is asking of you. You don't need to give out of compulsion or out of guilt. But what an opportunity to be a part of something bigger, to be a part of a mission that makes a difference in the lives of those in our community. If you've got more questions about the finances, we would love to answer them. We're going to have an info session in a few moments in our up upper room. Band, you guys can come on up. We're going to close in a song. We're going to have our uh, question and answer session upstairs. Um, and that'll just go as long as we need to, to get those questions answered. You can also learn more at rootedatwestlake.com, rootedatwestlake.com.
Com. Can we stand as I read this verse over us, our rooted prayer and vision from Ephesians? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. May it be so in Jesus' name.